Hi, I'm Sabrina and he's Marcus. And we are two of the founders of the Black Trail Runners. You can find us on Instagram at the Black Trail Runners. We're a community and campaigning group seeking to increase inclusion, participation and representation of black people in trail running. If something resonates with you, please let us know and share online. Also, leave your review on the podcast platform that you selected as it helps our podcast grow. Your support helps to make this podcast possible. Thank you for downloading this episode. Now, let's head to the conversation. The Checkpoint is supported by the North Face, whose fundamental mission remains unchanged since 1966, to provide the best gear for their athletes and the modern-day explorer, support the preservation of the outdoors, and inspire a global movement of exploration. Hello, Simba, and welcome to this episode of The Checkpoint Now. You've never actually been on The Checkpoint before to host, have you? I've been on it, but I haven't hosted. You've been on it, but you haven't hosted. So are you feeling a little bit anxious or not? Are you all right? Um, I spend most of my day talking at a screen anyway, so it's kind of, this is this is my life now. You're all right. So those people that are listening, whether you're out on your run or you're listening, making the kids dinner or whatever it is you're doing, Simba and I can actually see each other. So we're on video, but we're just recording audio here at the moment. So um, it's our voices for your, your listening pleasure. So Simba, now, what have you been up to before we get into this week's episode? Tell me, what have you been doing over the past week, running-wise? So... Last so on Saturday, um, I took part in the Ultrax Spring Trail Series 50k. Um, I didn't actually run the 50k. Uh, I I ran the first 20 mile. I'm I'm confusing. I I, I measure in miles. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> but that's I do fine. elevation in meters, which confuses the hell out of you. Um, so yeah, so the first 20 were fine, and then I I twinged my ankle um, at about the 18 19 mile mark. And I had a nice stroll through the countryside for the rest of it. I finished in six hours and ten, which is it was a bit frustrating because I was probably going to finish in about just under five hours, five hours, so four hours and fifty-four five hours. So I was on for a good time, but hey ho. Hey ho, these you know, so what sometimes it goes that way, Sim, doesn't it? And you know what we always say, you're out there, you're in nature, you had a couple of other black trail runners. They're with you. Yeah, I, I like to have a chinwag day, so I just so it was ten miles of just chatting to people who are either passing me or I was I was walking past them and they were more paid than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You often find at the end of trail races, don't you, that there's always a proportion of people who are doing that death march for, you know, personal reasons, injury reasons or whatever. But you know what, racing is back, you know, was that that was your first race. Was that your first race this year? No. So, so I did the I did the Maverick twenty two k last a few a few weeks ago, and that that went. So that was a bit better. I think I think in terms of kind of distance, I don't think my ankle was ready for um, anything too long. Um, that, yeah. that was actually better. I finished twenty fifth. Uh, I know I did some chatting halfway through that, so that could probably come in better as well. <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean the Spring Trail series was great. Actually, there was a few. There was there was two other guys who were doing the Ramsey round, Dio and Leroy. So it was great yeah. to, to to go to a race and kind of know a few other kind of black people at the starting line. 
And there was another guy who we saw, Roberto, and he was doing his first race. I think he finished 10th over wow. the race. So, That's amazing. So I think, so yeah, so I saw him at the end. He was, I think he was over the moon with that result. So yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he did the 10, it was a 10K trail. But it was quite a tricky, it was a tricky course and he did it in just over an hour. So, so yes, yeah, lovely. So. And this was a race that was um, hosted by Ultra X, who are a supporter of Black Trail Runners, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, so it's always good to see see those guys. I think they've been quite supporters of us over the last um, few, well, last year now, almost. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just glad that we're we're back racing again. I mean, I haven't had any races like you in the past couple of months. Obviously, we've got the Ramsey round, haven't we, yeah. in a couple of weeks' time? So that's what we're you're holding your powder. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're heading for Ramsey round three just uh, just oh well three weeks today isn't it three weeks today that we potentially head off into the Scottish the Scottish hills the Scottish mounds um so yeah that's kind of where my training focus is at the moment it's just getting the vert in getting the last bits of vert in that I can get before we taper when, um, when, I'm, 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 you do two-week taper I don't know what I'm doing taper-wise, probably only a one-week taper or something like that. Who knows? Who knows? You know, I'm loving the vert at the moment. I'm loving getting up and getting down those hills. And, uh, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm ready for it. I'd, I'd be quite happy to start the Ramsey round tomorrow if we could. You're eager. I'm eager. I'm an eager, eager person. Now, we have got on the show today, it's a bit of a special interview. We are talking to Lionel Adams, who's one of our American Black Trail Runners community members. Very talented runner, um, has podiumed, has been doing well and smashing races over in the US. Um, And we're speaking to him with his coach, Ian Sharman. Now, Ian Sharman is a bit of a a bit of a god in trail running, um, won lots and lots of races, has coached the most amazing elite athletes. And Ian reached out to us, Black Trail Runners, last year um, in a, and offered his services and, and wanted to find out ways that he could very much help support our community. Um, we put him and Lionel in touch with each other because we are about nurturing talent across the board. Um, and Lionel has been being coached by Ian now for a good couple of months. Um, so it's a really, really, um, enlightening conversation um, it's really great to to hear such a requ- uh, respected coach such as Ian talking about Lionel's training talking about um, the elements of training so without further ado let's get into the interview Ian Sharman and Lionel Adams Okay, so welcome to um, the Black Trail Runners Community 101, and it's a bit of a special tonight. As many of you community members know, uh, we have a member called Lionel, who almost every time he posts in the community is posting about amazing race that he's done, and he's placed either top five or won the thing. Um, Black Trail Runners, we are all about inspiring our members, and I'm so grateful tonight to have time with Lionel and also Ian Sharman um, who we will talk to about his support of Black Trail Runners and the work that he is currently doing with Lionel um, as as part of the support with us Um, but what I want to do first Lionel is I want to find out a little bit more about who you are how you got into running was it from a youth that you ran or did you come to it late? So can you tell the community a bit more about kind of how you got into trail running? Um, sure. So going back 
to um, how I first started running. Um, it actually started with uh, wanting to get in shape and lose weight. Um, and I believe this is back um, in like 2014. Uh, just started going to the gym. I started um, using the elliptical actually. So it wasn't a, a start in running per se, but then that kind of bled over into the treadmill going outside for short runs, um, just getting some sun, enjoying, you know, being outside and in my newfound love for running at that point. So um, going from that, it led into naturally road races. You know, the 5K, 10K, um, I was actually always interested in longer distances. So my actual first official race was a half marathon. I actually got to a point where I was very close to qualifying for the um, Boston Marathon, which is, of course, is um, internationally known um, and you have to uh, meet strict standards to be able to gain entry into that race. So, you know, by just by chance, you know, of course, COVID came through last year, um, which put a pause on um, my qualification, which I have been training for into March of 2020. So once that pause happened, it just, gosh, I don't even know how to start, but I really started trail running at that point. Um, just going out, being in remote areas, being alone, doing nature, you know, being able to distance properly. Um, and it took off from there. So in being socially distant and enjoying the nature and being outside, I learned that I actually love trail running more than anything else. Um, and it really took off from there. So, gosh, and I started racing, going to these remote races where, you know, you run trails, you're by yourself a lot. So, you know, going out, racing, enjoying myself. Um, then I found that I could handle it pretty well. Started placing pretty well, um, handling the uh, rugged terrain, other things of that sort. So, it brought me to where I am today. Um, it's really so, my intro into trail running. So what is it about? I mean, you know, we talk Boston's such a kind of iconic race for kind of you know road marathon runners, etc. And you know that the qualifying time and and kind of training for that and getting that is such a massive thing. How? What was your trans? like from road running to trail running how was it did you find it difficult to start with or was it quite natural for you to kind of go from tarmac to trails because that's something that members of our community especially new trail runners sometimes you know are, are constantly asking questions which is you know how does my how do my road times how are they supposed to translate to trail time um you know what how does my running gait need to change etc so how did you find that was it a challenge well at first it was but i had always enjoyed slower running enjoying being outside enjoying the runs themselves which wasn't always fast but it was just really falling into pace naturally how i felt for that day so it really was a difficult transition but not so difficult i was able to parlay easily into trail running because you really have to take a trail as it is presented mm -hmm. so you change up on a fly you, you you have to keep your attention there so 
knowing that I, I really like the slower, longer distances, it really made it easier, um, with the exception of, you know, looking for the objects in the, the trail, like roots, rocks, and things that you don't encounter on pavement. Um, but enjoying the longer, slower distances really made it easier to go into trail running, knowing that you have to adjust the way you run your attention to the um, trail in front of you, as opposed to locking into a certain pace for the entirety of the run, as you would for a race on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, your results, I've just been looking, I've kind of been pulling off for Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. The results, you know, from November 2020, third overall male, fourth overall in the race for the Dark Horse Ultra 50K. And then you've got January, retreat, repeat, eight-hour, fourth place, 42 and a half miles. Then we've got February. And the name of the race itself is intriguing to me, the Hallucination 12 Hour Race. First overall, I mean, you're... You know, if 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 I could kind of define talent, it's kind of you know you just transitioning to trail last year and then going out there and running these racing and races and placing. I mean, how did that feel? You know, to in a race scenario actually be you know getting first place, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That yeah, kind of. Can you explain that for us? Sure. So. I go into races not really paying attention to place. I'm just enjoying falling into, you know, my rhythm of how I'll take the trail. And to be honest, at all those races, I didn't really know I was in the top until the very end. Um, I remember specifically in Hallucination, I didn't know I was first until I believe the last couple of loops someone mentioned it. And I said, oh my, <laughs> let, let me pay attention. So it just kind of came with it. I just enjoyed it, kept going, you know, found that I could maintain the mileage and increase mileage safely and, you know, without injury. And it was able to outlast competitors and it really felt good, but it it didn't really feel like, haha, I got you, but it was more like, I feel this is natural and I can do pretty well. Mm. Wow. Ian, um, you know, we started talking a couple of months ago, you made contact with Black Trail Runners and, and kind of told us about the BIPOC places, etc. that you that you offer. And we started talking about kind of talent that we saw within the community. So for the first and foremost, Ian, for those that might not have heard of you, um, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and about your coaching, etc.? Certainly, yeah, and thanks for having me on. I mean, the well, the, the coaching that I offer is myself and a few other uh, high-level coaches. It's called Shaman Ultra. My name's Ian Shaman, um, and we have people like Ellie Greenwood, who was the ultra runner of the decade uh, in North America last uh, 2010 to 2020, uh, and several others, all like top-level uh, runners. But we're all white, and we see this in the community in general at races in the U.S., races I go to anywhere in the world. But it's mainly white people. There's no doubt about that. It's not representative of the local community or even the running community, um, which I think probably on road races, it's maybe a little bit more representative, but still not nearly where it should be. So I've been running ultras for about 15 years. 
I've been coaching for over 10 years now, uh, and I'm based in the US, but as you can tell, obviously come from the UK originally. I moved over here a decade ago. So I've done mainly 100 milers as my specialty. So things like Western States 100 miler. I've done the last 10 races there, uh, Leadville Trail 100 miler. I've got four wins there. So hundreds are, are kind of my thing. And, and that's one thing we'll talk about with uh, respect to Lionel as well as he's moving up to that. But basically, I just love trail running. I love road running. I love running. I, I don't think there's any need to put a label on it like, oh, I'm a short distance runner. I'm a 5K runner. I'm a road runner. I'm a mountain runner. You can do all of them. And then that's one of the beauties of this sport. It's so varied. And that's why I want to help other people to be able to enjoy that. And so in this last year, obviously, there's been a lot more awareness of the uh, inequalities within society and, and particularly in the US. I mean, this is just a few days after uh, the Derek Chauvin trial where he was found guilty of murder there. So hopefully things are heading in a good direction, but it made me think last year when I first started offering some free coaching spots for people from the BIPOC community, that it's just hopefully a way to help people get into it a little bit more, particularly on the trail and ultra side of it, because there, there's even less representation there. So I thought, what could I maybe do that would help? And anything that basically puts more uh, representative people within the sport, the more that inspires others. And, and one of the discussions we had is what would be the most effective way to do that? If we're going to offer some free coaching, is it just to give it to someone who's going to have uh, good results? Is it they're going to have more influence uh, and pretty much anyone coming into it? And so it's mainly people who are just starting in it that I wanted to help, not someone who's already been doing it for years and years and they've already got so much experience and they're already uh, telling all their friends it's the best thing ever. We want to instead help people get into it in the first place and make the whole community more enjoyable that way. So Lionel is kind of ideal for that because he's been doing trails, but only for a short amount of time. Like he said, he's mainly come from the road side of it. And he's really on that upward trajectory at the moment where there's still a lot of learning curve there for, for getting into trails and he had his first 24-hour race a couple of weeks ago. He has his first 100-mile race later this year. So there's so many things that we can hopefully be improving within his training, within his racing, that then allow him to enjoy it himself more, obviously, and also to inspire other people and say, hey, this is for everyone. Here is Lionel nailing it and having a lot of fun at the same time and just making it hopefully seem like you know anyone else watching it can say, oh, he, he looks like me. I can do that as well. That's for me too. So that's the, the kind of main aim there. And that's such an important part of the work that, that Black Trail Runners are doing is, is that representation piece. Um, you know, the three key tenets of, of the work is access, skills and representation. So therefore, you know, from the access point of view, it's it's enabling through those opportunities that, that, that we become aware of, whether that's self-generated from black trail runners or whether it's coaches like yourself coming to us. It's the skills. It's, you know, how can we take a black trail runner who shows talent, you know, and help him or help her to develop that talent in terms of, you know, being a shining light within our community because, you know, black people love running, black people love trail running. The reason that we're not represented isn't because we don't want to be there. There are these other absolute 
absolutely crucial areas that need to be addressed. So the representation piece of the work that you guys are doing together is so, so important and and very much puts a stake in the ground in terms of, you know, the talent is here. The talent is here. If given the right environment to nurture that talent, look, look what we can do. Um, and we're seeing that with, you know, Lionel, you're based in the States. We have a UK runner called Martin Johnson who in a couple of uh, a couple of weeks is is taking on the t- the T184 um, for a FKT um, so you know slowly but surely we are finding uh, you know men and women who who we truly believe kind of can really you know be raising that bar in terms of the community and 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 it's a beautiful thing to watch so explain to me in terms of the relationship that you two have so you know we i put you in touch with lionel ian and what's the first thing that you're looking for when you're looking to coach an athlete and that kind of in, in initial questioning really to give our our community members a feel for for if they're interested in coaching what that, that what that kind of thing can involve I think it's looking to learn and grow. Uh, that, that's the main thing. And, and this is the beauty about running. There's so many different things you can do. So Lionel is making that transition from being a very good road runner, although we're still going to hopefully be gaining uh, more fitness and more experience there to trail. So he's got new skills, new distances, new things that you have to be able to do if you're doing a 24 hour long race versus a three hour long race. So the nutrition, the pacing, uh, we've talked more about things like power hiking, for example, which is inevitable when you're on trails and it's much longer. So it's all these kind of things. And then so much more of it as well for the long stuff is related to the mental challenge. So I would say the kind of thing that we're looking for and that hopefully makes it appealing to people and pretty addictive once you get into it is just that idea of having a big challenge and overcoming it and doing more than you think you can do. And I think everyone who gets into running of any type sees that, whether it's the first 5K or first ultra or whatever it may be. But that's exactly what we're aiming for here. Just that kind of inquisitiveness and that desire to push themselves. And and Lionel obviously has big ambitions and and we're hoping that we can just tap into his potential and see more and more gains there and then show other people as well that this is how it works. I mean, just to give you an example with myself, I wasn't a a collegiate runner. That would be the typical thing in the US where you're like a scholarship athlete running the 5,000 meters or something like that. And then you transition to being very good at ultras because you've got all this speed. I'm very bad at that stuff. I actually jumped in right with ultras because it just seemed like the epic side of it that I was interested in, but I wasn't really a runner. So it's just that desire to to take on these big challenges and you don't need to be super fast in the first place. And most importantly, you never know how good you can be. This is one of the things I try and get across to people. And the first time I talk to them is we don't know where your upper limit is. You probably have some self-imposed upper limits because you think, oh, I could never run a marathon or I could never go that far or that fast. But every single runner sees this, just how quickly their body adapts. And over a period of weeks and months and years, you keep getting better. And suddenly you look back a few months and go, well, what I thought was impossible is now my standard run. It literally gets like that. And then your uh, expectations just get sky high and you stop putting those limits on yourself. And that's really what ultras are. You know, 100 miles is such an insane distance. I talk to people every day about it, so it seems very normal to me. But I get that it's still kind of crazy to run all day long, (laughs) you know, and and Lionel is getting into this now to his 24-hour race. That's a lot of time on feet. That is a, it's a big thing to mentally digest. 
But once you realize that the body can do it, and it's just a case of preparing well and then doing what you need to on the day, then suddenly you start thinking, well, there's other things that I maybe had limits on in my life that don't actually have those limits and I can go through them. So that that's, I think, the most inspiring point of it. And that's applying to absolutely every runner, every person of every standard across the world. And that's, I think, the beauty of, of ultra running in particular. I think there's so much to pick. There's so much to kind of discuss there. Um, I mean, Lionel, I ran my first hundred miler last August, and yeah, it was. You know, I think as a, as a kind of mixed race black woman myself, you know, kind of growing up and constantly as as many many members of our community, it, you know, it's that constant proving yourself. You know, it's it's working hard, it's ensuring that you're better than everyone else, or you're striving to be better because you know we have to, you know, we have to show that we can work and that we can achieve, etc. And I think that you know what I found when I did my first hundred miler last year is, you know, all of that stuff really came into play. You know, all of those kind of mind games as we were growing up as youngsters into teenagers into adults that we you know that we have to play through in our mind just to kind of you know try and achieve some form of equity and equality within our lives as black people I think that that you know it was a real light bulb moment for me in terms of this is part of the reason why I love this long distance stuff is because all of those life learnings kind of feed into it so how are you feeling about how are you feeling about eventually running a hundred miles later this year? <laughs> well, um, I'm actually feeling more confident about it, especially after the most recent race, uh, which was actually a 24 hour race. Um, but I chose to make it 20 <laughs> because I, it, I felt it was time. However, I still did a distance PR and I think, I believe I executed it pretty well, actually. Um, but, um, thus far with the, the coaching and training, I, I don't know that I would have felt the same way about approaching it positively and executing some of the things I was able to do without the, um, the coaching from, um, Ian. Um, but I do want to say something that you, you just mentioned that I thought about. So I will say at one of my races recently, I vividly remember I was deep into it, and someone, I think it was a bystander or someone on the side, said, yay, you have two more laps left. And I was like eight hours into, I think it was the 24. I, I was eight to nine hours into it, and I think to myself, no, um, I wish I have until tomorrow. So thinking about it, it made me wonder, it, well, it made me reinforce the fact that representation is so important because I don't think that the person expected that I was running that long, but I had to show that I'm there for the long haul um, and that I'm absolutely capable um, and we're all here together to enjoy this. So um, I do want to mention that too. It came to mind when you, you said that constantly having to prove and show that you can do this as well. And I think that that, you know, when we... You know, I when we're in this kind of trail running and ultra game, because we're such, you know, because there's such 
little representation of people that look like us across the board, whether that's at races that we're in or whether it's in media that we consume. I think that there, you know, it, it's it's the con- it's the work, isn't it? It's the constant work of saying, you know, we're here, you know, this is what we do, this is what we enjoy, and 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 hopefully through that, inspiring not only members of the black community, but but members of the white, you know, white allies in order to ask those questions. You know, we, we constantly talk about asking questions of, you know, race organisers, race directors, etc. in terms of, you know, what work are you doing in order to diversify trail running, diversify ultra running? Um, one thing that Ian said, and I do want to pick up on it because it's a question that, um, that I'm asked quite a lot. And that is power hiking. So many, many people believe, and, and I think that, you know, there's a couple of brands that have been big in the media um, kind of globally that that have kind of some apparel that is, you know, kind of almost poo-poo's walking. Now, we know in ultra marathons, trail races, you know, power hiking is such a massive part of maintaining that forward motion. But coming from that road racing kind of background, Lionel, how how mentally have you um, dealt with the concept of power hiking in a race? Well, I'll say prior to um, the coaching um, opportunity with Ian, I had experienced not power hiking when I needed to in a previous race, and I paid for it dearly. Um, so going into it, I already knew the importance of it, but I hadn't really utilized it as much or wasn't utilizing it prior to needing to. Um, so the transition now was not very hard, but when I first encountered it, it was, because it was really, uh, it, it was, a learned type of thing it wasn't anything someone told me or said you should try. I just fell into power hiking because I was hurting. <laughs> and I, at a certain point, just knew there was no way I was going to make it another six, you know, six, eight hours at this pace. Mm-hmm. Um, so I learned trial by fire. <laughs> It's um, it's it's one of those massive subjects, I think, that, you know, as as runners and I think certainly when you come from a road running background, you know, to walk is almost frowned upon. But kind of when you navigate into kind of more trail running and, and certainly the ultra kind of element of trail running as well, it's that kind of how efficient can I be over the distance? Do you find this in the athletes that you coach in? Is that something that it can be quite difficult for people? to get their head around actually kind of walking or power hiking in a race oh, oh definitely yeah particularly the ones that are triathletes or road runners and they're just starting to do trails mm-hmm. it's just this idea that if they're walking it means the race has gone bad that that's the thing in their head is you only walk if you've screwed it up while in trail race especially a mountain race where you're maybe going up a 45% gradient up the side of a mountain. If you can run that for a few steps, you're insanely fit. If you can do it for a <clears throat> you know, hour-long climb, then you're basically the world's best at that thing. But probably you still wouldn't do that in a 100-mile race or in a 50K race. You might only do that if it's just that climb and that's it. So it's definitely something where it's kind of encouraging people to think through it. And the way I always describe it is kind of how Lionel just was talking about it there, which is 
you see everyone has to do it at some point. So why wouldn't you train for the elements of the race? If it's going to be a hot race, you're going to train for the heat you're expecting. If it's going to have power hiking, you train for the power hiking. It's not just like you get really fit with running and then walking is the easier version of that. So you can do it anyway. It uses the muscles differently. It's certainly a different mentality to be able to settle into a really strong power hike versus a walking break. And so I like to use that, that phrasing power hike. I try not to use walking or even power walking because it's something you're choosing to do as a tactic. It's not a failure. It doesn't mean you're too tired. It doesn't mean you're too weak. It's the thing that you're doing as part of your strategy and you're trying to do it with a lot of momentum. You're not doing it at the point where you have to do it and you're having a break. You're doing it at an earlier stage to keep things sustainable, to be efficient, just like you said. I love that. I love the fact that we've touched on this because I really, truly believe not not only within the black community of black trail runners, but, you know, across multiple communities, that understanding about how to manage your body, especially when it's off road, especially when it's longer and not seeing and I love it, power hiking as a form of failure, but seeing it as a key strategy in the race. I, yeah, I'd love to have kind of another session with you both kind of talking about that particular kind of skill in particular, because I just don't think it's understood enough. Um, so, uh, and uh, yeah, being training for the mountains myself, I, I absolutely adore power hiking. So I'm, yeah, I'm all about the power hiking at the moment. Um, now, kind of, te- I'd love to find out for you at the moment, Lionel. What, uh, being trained by Ian, what does a typical is is there such thing as a typical week? How do your training blocks kind of look? Um, and also, I want to find out when you rest, how that is. What does that look like? Because again, I think within the community people who are either following their own training plans or plans that they found online and there is a rest days in there really struggle with the concept of but what does that look like so can you give me an example of at the moment what a typical block or a typical week might look like both of you kind of talk at me you go first Lionel go on okay um so I'll preface this by saying that um, I had to be taken down off my mileage um, <laughs> because I was stuck in this 90 to 100 mile week. You know, this is what I'm doing. Um, and it, it's just what I've become accustomed to. So um, doing, um, following the training plan for the last few weeks, I now have a pretty good feel of how the weeks are structured. Um, and what workouts are inserted and how they strategically integrate it with rest and recovery. Um, so um, I guess I can stop there and let Ian speak since he, he writes those plans. Um, okay. Well, it was certainly, it, it was a change. So this is often going to be the case. It's going to be assessing where a runner is in the first place and where their fitness is with that. And Lionel is a high mileage guy. He's been doing, like you said, 90 to hundred mile weeks. That's a lot of time on feet. But also, if we think about it in terms of trails, 90 or 100 miles of running on trails and running up and down hilly stuff takes a lot longer than doing it on road. So part of it was breaking from that idea of you've got to hit a mileage target or you're doing less and that's somehow worse. So we did take that down a little bit also so we could have more structure and more variation in there. So rather than doing kind of like 90 miles that was mainly at a medium intensity the whole time, we're just making more of it be very easy and also throwing in some harder speed sessions 
And then when he has a race coming up, we do more specific stuff getting close to that. So Lionel and I have been working about two months at this point, and he's already had a couple of races in there. So the the 24-hour race was really early on, especially since that's the longest race he's ever done by far. So we mainly were just saying, okay, let's just get on a new path. And then we've got this big race. It's not like we've got a huge building block to get up to it. It's mainly just let's make some little changes and then go into that race feeling good. And it's at this stage now that we'll actually probably have a little bit more of a long-term look towards his next 100 miler, rather than it just being an abbreviated, okay, couple of weeks, and then you're jumping in the middle of a huge race, and then we're recovering from it. But it's mainly just thinking, what, how can we get the most bang for your buck from the training that he's putting in? So if it's 10 hours a week, let's say, and for people listening, maybe it's three hours a week, whatever the number is, how can you get the most stimulus that your body can respond to from that. So that doesn't mean do it as hard as you can. That doesn't mean if you have three hours, do every second of it as hard as you can, but it's what would be the balance within that that allows you to, to challenge your body, to be pushed for the speed sessions to be challenging enough that you have to get quicker and your body adapts to it, that the long runs are challenging enough that they're forcing you to get better at uh, endurance. So it's very much looking at, at trying to get the most out of the available time with the knowledge that uh, Lionel's body can withstand more than most runners already because of his background. But then how can we make him get fitter and faster for his road running and then for his ultras? And how can we practice all the other skills in there? So that's purely the physical fitness we're talking about there. On top of that, we're looking to then practice things like eating and drinking on his long runs, the specifics of what the race will involve. Is it a hilly race with more power hiking? Is it a hot race that we need heat training close to it? That kind of thing. So it's really looking at whatever the runner is currently, where they currently are, where they're trying to get to, and where you can basically make things more effective. And I think uh, we've got a, a good start here with Lionel. And I, I can honestly see massive gains ahead in, in the coming months from having training that gives him more benefit and also being able to execute better because that's such a huge part of it in ultra running and, and trail running. It's not just how fit are you. That's a great part of it. But the longer the race is, the tougher the terrain, more of it comes down to your mental side of it, how tough are you going to be and how smart are you going to be in terms of making adjustments along the way, pacing well, looking after yourself, all the things that we're trying to teach. So a lot of that is basically getting him to tap into the signals his body's giving him day by day, during a run, how that's changing, because your, your body has a huge amount of, of information that's being fed into the brain. Uh, there's heat sensors, there's the effort level, there's how hard you're breathing, how your energy levels are with your food, how sore your muscles are, uh, aches or pains or blisters or chafing, or all these different things. So we're just trying to tap into all of that to get better at making judgments and trying to preempt problems as well as deal with them and problem solve as well as possible. So there's so many facets to the uh, to, to try and get good at ultra running, which is why it's and, and trail running, both of those things. But that's why it's so satisfying to do a good race. And a good race means for the fitness level you have to see to feel like you walk away from it going, that's about as well as I could have done today. But it's so satisfying because there's so many things you have to get right for that. And so we're just trying to get practice at all of those to build up. And uh, certainly having just had the 24-hour race, which I think we should definitely delve into more, there's so much learning that comes out of that as well. What do you think, actually, thinking about the 24-hour race, Lionel, what what kind of, you know, after you kind of, you you know, you got your PR, et cetera, what were your immediate kind of thoughts in terms of your own learnings from it? My immediate thoughts were, I can specifically remember how rapidly weather conditions change 
and how I had to think on the fly and adjust as the conditions were presented. Because, um, of course, as you know, unlike in shorter races, you may encounter one weather type, whether it's raining or hot or cold. However, in a 24, and specifically in that one, I remember it was cold, it was warm and humid, it was storming, and it was hot. It all occurred within those hours. Um, so immediately I thought, wow, I just conquered this and I walked away from it with a PR. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my immediate thought but, and what I immediately took away from it. It's that ability, isn't it, almost to kind of of you know have the mental capacity to be able to constantly what's it they say about ultras really it's you know you're constantly just solving small problems you know or or, you know every step of the way and you know you've touched on such an important point there in terms of your takeaway with these longer races which is yeah you're not just out while it's sunny you're out while it gets colder you're out whether it's dark you're out when it's drizzly and if you don't have you know again another one of the I guess the skills element of what we do if you don't understand necessarily how to mentally and physically cope with that even if it's having the right kit and you know a, a a checkpoint or, or crew or whatever that that can really seriously harm your ability to execute a good you know the best race that you possibly can for that state of fitness that you're in Yes, that's absolutely right, because I know for a fact there were moments in between I made it before making it back to my um, the checkpoint that I could feel my body reacting in a way where it was giving me cues, you need to add more clothing mm-hmm. or you need to, you know, I could feel it oncoming as I was approaching the checkpoint. So responding to those cues was highly important to being able to um, maintain, you know, that level of my, the mileage that I would end up completing at the end of that race. Mm-hmm. And when you are in, you know, that, the, the, the 24, 24 hour race, do, did you have a fueling strategy set out beforehand and had you trained practicing that? Talk to us about kind of what you use, what do you use to keep you going? Yes. So during the training week, I actually implemented um, and practiced my my fueling strategy, especially during a longer run, which is typically 20 to, I believe it was 23 was my maximum long run, I believe. But I practiced taking in eating even when I wasn't really hungry or when I really didn't need it. But during um, power hiking breaks is when I... It took the advantage of eating or drinking just to really give myself a chance to take it in while I was not moving at a faster speed. Um, but that strategy, so in the beginning of it, um, and for a, a very big portion of it, um, I was really just using um, gels, um, which I typically use, a, um, I use Huma is my favorite. Um, and I have an electrolyte. Um, mix that I use for uh, my beverage that, uh, hydration. Mm-hmm. Um, as it goes, um, I switch and add in vegan street waffles because my diet, I'm vegan. Mm-hmm. Um, then I'll start diversifying, adding in nuts, adding in, um, gosh, what else did I have? 
just other things. Um, granola I have with me as well. Um, and I felt that as I was going further into the race, my body was giving me cues as to what I wanted and what was working for that time. Some things were a little bit more salt, some things more, um, uh, you know, more of a hydration, you know, keeping carb levels up, different things of like that. So it kind of diversified as the race went. Um, and, but I'll say um, the most important thing about practicing is that at a certain point, I didn't want to eat. So mm-hmm. I knew already still eat, still drink, because if not, your race will be ending a lot sooner than it should. Mm-hmm. So I practiced all that during the weeks of training, knowing that it would happen, and it did. So mm-hmm. It's so funny that you... You should talk about the, uh, the, you know, the not wanting to eat element and having to almost train your way through that. I know that, again, last year when I did my 100 and, uh, yeah, I love food and almost immediately I totally went off food. You know, I just, there was nothing that I wanted to eat, but because I had been training and practicing eating even when I wasn't hungry, kind of I was able to manage that. Um, And actually what we have... um, Coming up this week is we've got six black trail runners who are doing the Ramsey Roundy, and um, so we're doing that the twenty, uh, the fourteenth, fifteenth, and sixteenth of June, weather permitting. So, you know, nutrition is the big thing for our next Zoom call, and we've got a dietitian over here called Rini McGregor who's going to kind of come on the Zoom call and um, and kind of give us advice on fueling, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But uh, but yeah, what is it they say about ultras? It's kind of like an eating and drinking race almost. <laughs> it's an eating competition. Yeah. Yeah. Ian has said that to me probably about five times <laughs> about what it actually is. And it's true. Yeah. Who can eat the most? Who can stay in the game? Because if not, it's normally going to be a dropout. <laughs> yeah. And not just who can eat the most, but who can eat the most and still feel good. That's the key thing. <laughs> and I think one thing that, um, and I know you used to coach him, Ian, is Damien Hall, who was my mountain coach for the last couple of years, my mountain running coach. And the one thing he said to me when I did my 100 miler last year was, well, there were two things. There was the, um, don't be a head in the first half and don't be a wimp in the second. So that was, you know, and I would remember that Lionel all the time. I'd be like, don't be a different, don't be. And then the second one was um, low mood, eat food. So he would just, and I never equated when kind of before that almost, no one had ever said it so easily to me. Um, but actually, you know, there are always periods within these races where, you know, it's particularly hard couple of miles or 10 miles or whatever it might be and you can find the mood can dip Lionel did you experience that at all within the 24 and how what were your coping mechanisms to deal with it I did um and I specifically remember mouth around mile 70 is when things started to really become a challenge um and I immediately thought okay I'm feeling low I need to eat I kept doing that, but at a certain point, that wasn't working. I was eating, but I was still feeling the mood. So I just, I knew that if I could, and it's something else I thought about um, from what Ian said, if I lower my intensity, eat, drink, just kind of reset, it eventually will end. Then it did. Then it happened again. (laughs) So I ate. Went through that again, went through that strategy, and it worked. So it was constantly going back and forth, finding what works for that moment so that I can get through the next five, ten miles so that 
I can make it at least to what would end up being the end. It's so it's you know there's there's so much that goes into it, isn't there? And it's yeah, it's it's the constant reframing of what's going on in the head and asking yourself the questions: Is it to do with other things that are going on in my body, or is this just something I need to? get through and know that I'm going to come out into the lightness the other end it's yeah it's is do you see that in a lot of people that you coach Ian is that in terms of that mental coping strategy when things get dark um you know coaching them on the ability to be able to get through that a hundred percent I would say that this is probably a bigger skill than almost anything else you can do within ultra running within even in a marathon you can have a load patch you hit mile 20 and you start slowing down a bit you think you're not going to get the time you wanted and you can either try and solve it and often that involves slowing down a little bit maybe taking on food and even more extreme an ultra might be walking and taking on food and knowing it'll take an hour or two to feel better but then you can come out the other side so no matter how bad it gets it doesn't mean it's going to be that or worse till the end you can problem solve it and you can work out, okay, well, why did this happen? Is it lack of food? Is it that I was pushing too hard? Is it that it's hotter at this time of day? Whatever it may be, just trying to rationalize through that and then find a solution to it and know that you will come out the other side. doesn't mean you'll feel perfect, but you can feel better. And then suddenly you realize, oh, I can keep moving. So a lot of it comes down to the motivation and just having really good reasons to come through and to keep pushing and to not give in. Because if as soon as you stop, that's it. So for example, someone maybe gets to an aid station, they're feeling like crap and they really don't want to keep going. You know, there are 10 different things have happened. Maybe they've just vomited, their legs feel tired, they're deep into the race, but there's still lots left. If you're a mile from the end, yeah, you can, anyone can suck that up. But if there's five hours, 10 hours left, mentally, that's a lot to, to kind of take on from that point. So instead of stopping and saying, right, I'm going to hand in my bib, I'm, I'm done. Uh, just say to yourself, okay, give it a bit of time. Don't be hasty with a decision here. Let's see if we can turn it around and let's focus on the positives. So much of it comes down to being able to turn negatives into positives. So, um, for example, Lionel in his latest race, an immediate positive in those later stages is this is the longest run I've ever done. Every extra lap is a new record. There is a, and it doesn't matter how bad he feels, it doesn't, doesn't matter how slow that lap is, it's still something to give a little bit more. Um, reason to keep going and it's trying to find what those things are that will mean a lot to you and they can be either intrinsic reasons such as uh, i want to prove this to myself or uh, i enjoy running or i know i'll be annoyed if i give in and i didn't have to or it could be extrinsic like you're uh, raising money for charity or you've got your family waiting at the next aid station uh, i one reason that actually worked for me one time is i had a pace of waiting so i was feeling bad and i thought well they've come all this way i can't not do the bit that they're joining me for otherwise they've wasted their time so it's just trying to find reasons whatever it may be some of them you can plan for in advance some of them you're going to have to think about in that moment but it then you can turn it around it keeps you thinking about the good side of it and not dwelling on the negatives and it allows you to problem solve and keep going and that's going to happen in every race so it's not just a if you have a bad race this happens this happens in a good race but the reason it's a good race is because you deal with it even better than on the bad day or you don't allow yourself to stop. And even people getting course records will have these moments where it's make or break. They could have given in. They could have allowed themselves to fall back or to stop the race or they overcome that challenge and finish it. And that, I think, is, is the reason why these races are so valuable, because, you know, there's no easy option. It's not like you could have finished it and gone, ah, easy day, nothing to it. Even on the perfect day, some bad things will have happened. And it's just that you dealt with them perfectly. 
And that's so incredibly satisfying. So I think that's uh, the thing that we want to be encouraging all the people listening is, you know, this is something worth doing. It's not easy, but the reason it matters is because it's not easy. And I think, you know, as, as a black community, you know, we, you know, many of our lives haven't been easy and the trauma that we continue to experience isn't easy to kind of continue to step on. But we do because, you know, part of the part of the, the change, part of the the work is in continuing to step on. You know, it's in continuing to challenge those extra, extrinsic and intrinsic kind of thoughts and events and episodes that happen. And I think from a trail running and an ultra running perspective that's why ultimately i believe that as a community you know that we can thrive and not only thrive but really kind of you know take a lead within this kind of within this sport is because we have that kind of you know almost inbuilt having to constantly problems of having to constantly fight a system which seems to be totally built against us etc um and and you know the work that you two are doing you know is you know, helps to show just what can be achieved. So looking forward, you know, I'm just aware that we're, we kind of got 10 minutes left. I kind of wanted to keep this to an hour. So going forward in the next four months of training, are there specific areas that as a coach that you would want to see some specific progressions in gains with Lionel? And as an athlete, Lionel, are there areas, as all athletes have, we have them where you personally would like to be stronger, kind of better, whether that's mentally or physically. So Ian first and then into light and then onto Lionel. Well, I'm going to be greedy with this answer. I'm going to say everything. I see no reason why Lionel can't get better at all the physical aspects, all of the mental aspects, not because he's weak now, but because there's still gains to be made and because there's stiff learning curve in this sport. But I think that the using his experience is a big part of that. And then making sure that we're seeing um, good, consistent training where he's seeing marginal gains. It's not like a steady curve that every week is better than the previous week, but I see no reason why with the structure we have now that won't pay off over a number of months. And then the biggest thing will be seeing how well he can execute in his hundred miler, seeing how well he can run. And the first half of it is the bit that we know he can do well. He's going to get 50 miles um, he can do a decent time to that, but can he get there feeling good and on top of things and then do the second 50 miles well? So that's what a lot of what we'll be talking about, what we'll be practicing in long runs um, when we're talking through the mental side of things and using other practice races is on being able to execute well, to stay positive and motivated, to work out which things he's done well in the past and replicate them and which things can be improved and work out how we can learn from them. But I honestly see gains in, in all areas and it's going to be uh, exciting seeing how he does that first hundred. That is exciting to listen to that. I cannot wait to witness it. And Lionel, how do you feel about kind of gains to be made, etc.? Um, I, I totally agree since it's still relatively um, a new experience for me. Um, there's a lot of growth um, to be accomplished across the board. Um, thinking specifically about the 100 miler, it makes it's a different mindset as opposed to the 24 hour. So I know my goal will be to complete 100 because it is a 100 miler. Um, and now my mind is going into breaking up differently than by the hour. Um, so 
it, the mental strategy, and I, I think it it plays the same part, but it's just different, and it's growing from that mental portion and marrying it with the physical aspect as well as I'm looking forward to. Um, but like I said, I believe um, to agree with Ian, I have lots of games left on the table to um, grasp as things uh, move forward. Do we know what race the 100 mile is going to be yet? So I'm actually already registered for a 100 miler in, um, in, in here where I live in Charleston, South Carolina. It's the Charleston 100. Um, so it is actually on pavement, so it's not a trail. So it's different in that aspect. But, you know, that presents other challenges as well. Um, so um, that is in December. So it's further down the line. Wow. And, and we'll find other things along the way as well. And, and who knows what, what exactly they'll be. That's still to be decided. We want to first get over the 24-hour race that he, he's literally only just done. So <laughs> that was the big first step. But there's so much to look forward to. I mean, that's the great thing. And even though this is a, a flatter uh, and road-based 100-miler, there's no such thing as an easy 100. There's just ones that take less time because the terrain is quicker. But there's still going to be all the same things that can go wrong. And in fact, a flat one has that challenge of not knowing when to power hike. If there were hills, it's like, okay, I'm going uphill. It's harder, really obvious when to do it. If it's dead flat, you'll get a lot of people who won't start doing that until they have to, maybe 50, 60 miles in, at which point they're already kind of trashed. So there's all these different elements. And it's trying to give... Uh, Lionel, the skill set to be able to work out in a hundred different scenarios, different types of race, different things going on in the race of how to to deal with it and how to find the solution. So that's the biggest thing I think we'll be working on in the coming months. I'm so excited to follow this journey, and I know that our community are, you know, going to be super excited to find out what you've been up to, Lionel, and to celebrate you. And I think one of the things that I would say is, um, you know, when I did my 100 miler, the, the, the kind of community around me of black trail runners virtually, of black trail runners on the ground, of the crew that I kind of handpicked to to <laughs> to feed me at times, to cover me at times, it, it absolutely made the difference you know um i was i was blessed to have a crew member who was actually a medical professional and at 60 miles i needed a med you know i needed someone who could who understood she's actually she's well she's a midwife so i needed somebody who kind of almost understood that dark space i was in and all and, and and to basically clothe me and wrap me up for the kind of night section so that i could be on my way but but what i loved as well and what we will be here for you lionel is as a community to send those positive vibes to want so much for you to achieve all that we believe you can and 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 to follow your journey so what i'd love to do with you both is maybe in where are we now april maybe in june is to kind of catch up again to see how this next block of training's gone um what i will do as well is and you people that are watching in the black trail runners community is to start to kind of think about some questions for lionel as well as we follow his journey so that we can kind of add some in here from the community and and you know really kind of support you because 
you know, I personally feel that, you know, there's, there's real talent and, and, you know, there with you, Lionel. And, and to see you place and to see you podium at these races in such a short space of time just absolutely cements all that we say in that, you know, we have a community that there is untapped for a different reasons lots of different reasons talent and if we can urge if we can support if we can give the access skills and representation we will find many lionels we will find many mjs we will find many rachels um so i just want to thank you so much um for joining me tonight i feel inspired to go and do my 24 mile mountain run training run this weekend <laughs> in the brecon beacons which is my local mountain mountain range here um and i just want to thank you ian you know without uh allies without supporters um it the work is 10 100 times more difficult so i just want to thank you for reaching out to black trail runners and for working with us working with me working with lionel in order to in order to address those 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 key kind of barriers that we see of access skills and representation because together you know if the river rises all the boats rise you know whoever whoever be and and that's what we're about because as we've said time and time again with black trail runners we're not about being divisive you know we want to work to a time when we don't need to have a black trail runners because it really truly will be all trail runners uh, whether you know whether i will see that in my lifetime who knows but that's what we work towards and um i just yeah thank you guys for for being on this zoom um it's been fantastic speaking to you Thanks, same to you, and thank you for all the work you're putting in. Yes, thank you so much. I'm very, very thankful for the opportunity, and um, and I've already noticed the community of individuals um, just kind of taking notice and mentioning things, and, and it feels great to know that um, that individuals are are attentive and, and they see what's happening and, and inspired. They are certainly inspired, Lionel, and just keep posting those updates, keep keeping communication, keep inspiring us because, you know, when you have those training weeks that are hard, when you see an inspirational post comes in, it just makes you want to kind of step on further in your greatness. So, so keep doing what you're doing. What an amazing interview that was. It's just, there's so much that was covered in that interview that I think will be just really, really beneficial for anyone that is on the trail running journey, you know, skills, lots of advice from a great coach. So let's get into the A to Z. So one thing that I want to talk about and it's something that we did touch upon in the Lionel Adams interview, and that is nutrition. So when we put out the letter N to the Black Trail Runners community, quite a few people came back and wanted us to talk about nutrition. Now, for those of you that have ever <laughs> experimented with nutrition while you're out on there on the trail, you will know that it is very personal. It is very much about trial and error. But I never go on a trail run, even if it's a couple of miles, without some form of fuel on my person. Now, normally, if it's shorter distance, that might be a gel, 
at the moment I'm trialing well I've been um, I've been using Morton gels which are quite expensive but for me I had quite a few GI issues which we won't go into too much in this podcast right now um but I will always have something on me in case of emergency in case I maybe haven't eaten so well prior to the run, um, just 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 something safe that I can have in my pocket. Um, but with trail running, I think what I find, and certainly what we've discussed at our last trail taster weekend, which took place in the Malvins the other weekend and was fantastic, is that it's all about trial and error. So as well as the Morton gels, I like to run with Snickers bars. I like to run with ready salted crisps. I like to run with flapjack. I like to run with jelly babies. I like to run with bars of other bars of chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) My fuel is, is, is very sweet stuff heavy um, because that's, ultimately what I find helps me to continue moving forwards I often find if I'm doing a longer trail race around about a quarter to a half of the way through I'll want something savory and that's when I start turning to things like more salty food um I was going to say biltong but actually I don't go near biltong because I don't like it but it is kind of more crispy stuff when I did my 100 last year it was pot noodles that worked for me um my palate changes actually and I I certainly want more savory stuff after I would say around about 26 miles what about you Sim um so I think for me it's kind of an ever-changing um target so I'm really my, my fuel I use kind of changes over time I say like I do use Morton as well that's kind of that seems to be the kind of only kind of ever-present thing which is in my um pack but I think I discovered the called the magic banana <laughs> so it's um please tell us about the magic banana it, it is one of the world's it's, it's, it's the greatest snack I've ever discovered it's I'm able to get 500 calories down in two bites it's a crepe style pancake with Nutella or your butter, your hazelnut spread of choice, preferably, um, was it palm oil free, and a banana wrapped into a roll, um, tucked in some tinfoil in my bag. I think I had one at the top of Penavan the other day, and you, you saw the you, you saw the, the magical effects it had on my spirits. I did, I did. And you know what? This is the thing, in all seriousness, you know, a lot of people call trail running and certainly call trail races, um, especially trail races over a certain distance. It's more of a of a how much you can eat race and still keep going. And but it's very, very personal. And, and what works for one person does not work for the other. And the best piece of advice that I can give you via my experience is practice 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 because there's nothing worse than being out on the trail and wanting food and it either disagreeing with you or you just don't fancy it or it's too sweet or it's too savory or it doesn't give you that initial hit that you need um what people will often find i mean we spoke about bonking or i think when we talked about b for the a to z of trail running but you know a bonk is when you are they're running very very low on that glycogen you're running very low on carbohydrate stores within the muscles and therefore you go into a bonk you go into a blood sugar low and it just makes everything feel horrendous so i always have some form of quick release sugar on me in order to if i go in there i try not to bonk because that's not something that I like experiencing 
but it is very personal and it it really is there are you know there are foods that will agree with you and there are foods that won't agree with you and there's nothing worse than being out on the trail when you've consumed foods either pre-run or during a run that does not agree with you am i right simba or am i wrong yeah, I think I think I, I ran a bit on Saturday with Rini, uh, and we we're talking about nutrition and the mantra of nev- nothing new on race day. Uh, yeah. As she was offering me some peanut M and M's, which are delicious, but uh, it's a race day, and I've never I've never kind of kind of eaten peanut M and M's on the trail, so I politely turned them down. <laughs> you turned down a peanut and then an M&M. I can't believe I forgot peanut M&Ms. And actually, for those of you listening, Rini McGregor <laughs> is a very, very well-respected sports dietitian and, and um, very, very good ultra, uh, well, a very good trail runner. Um, and what we're hoping to do is actually get Rini onto the Checkpoint podcast in the next couple of months to talk about nutrition, to talk about her trail running adventure and her journey, um, and basically anything else that we can kind of talk to her about as well. So look out for that one um so number two sim the n the second n that we had as suggestions from our community navigation yeah navigate i think the, this this is one i think um really kind of trips up people in terms of getting out onto the trails um it's really easy to get lost uh, and it's really easy to kind of get worried about being lost um i've always been kind of a bit of a map geek so i've always whenever i go anywhere i've always kind of tend to buy the os maps and kind of study the maps and make sure i i kind of i like i like i'm kind of personally like to know where i am so one of the things i'm kind of really comfortable with is is map reading uh, and i know os map reading and i think one of the best investments i made was but was downloading the os maps the yearly subscription i think it's 30 quid for a year um you can download offline maps and you, you don't have to kind of do any kind of positioning in terms of a compass at all. You get your little red, you get your marker, same like um, Google Maps. And, and it's really great for just kind of making sure you know where you are, what trails you are. And it has all of the national trails on. Uh, and I think by doing that, I think it's made, it's made me even more competent in terms mm. of kind of map reading. I found, you know, the the... I totally agree with you. I think that what I find with people that I talk to, people that, you know, were on our trail taster weekend the other weekend, the biggest barrier, I think, in terms of that skills, that's that skills point that we, you know, the skills tenet that we seek to, is navigation. It is, but what if I get lost? What if I don't know how to get home? What if I'm in, you know, what if something happens to me and I, I can't pinpoint where I am? And it stopped me for so many years exploring my immediate surrounding, actually. Um, But since hearing since hearing about the OS app, so the Ordnance Survey app, which, as you said, is, you know, is the price of two coffees a month. Um, you can pay for it monthly, you can pay for it yearly. It has absolutely transformed my trail running journey. It has allowed me to feel confident uh, exploring new footpaths, et cetera, et cetera. And now I, I just kind of don't go anywhere, anywhere without planning a route on the OS app. Um and I certainly would recommend, I think if you're new to it, you can get like a free taster um, for 30 days or something like that. So it's certainly worth putting it up. Yeah. We will put a link to it in the show notes. Um, also, what we 
did for Black Trail Runners, our community, some of you may have attended, is that we had some online navigation workshops, which were done in association with Innovate. Um, And that's something that went down really, really well in terms of actual proper map reading, hard copy map reading. And it's something that our members really felt the benefit of doing. And we have in kind of early planning stages um, an idea for getting together as a face-to-face kind of navigation day or weekend later in the year. So please do look out for that because as well as having the OS app, actually being able to, being able to work your way around a map, a proper map is really, really important as well. So um, I would certainly say kind of look out for those days or join us if you're a bit further afield on one of our online navigation workshops as well. Um, the third point then, nature. I mean, let me say, so I'm a country, country bumpkin, so I grew up in the countryside. So it's for, for me that it's the reason why I love trail running. Um, it's the reason why I got into it. I started off sort of road running. Um, and then when I, this was whilst I was living in London and quite close to me, I used to have what the Parkland Walk. Uh, and I used to, it was kind of a, a disused railway, and then I used to run up to Highgate Woods. Um, and, the, and it was just like those kind of, I had a kind of a bit of kind of realization. It's like, I don't actually like the, the part where I'm running on the road. What I really enjoy is being surrounded by trees, being surrounded by by, by dirt, by nature. And I guess that's that's where I sort of, I really sort of got back into, into, tra- into running on trails. And I just, I think, in terms of my kind of mental kind of well-being and how I feel, sometimes there's just nothing better just kind of with like early morning running through some woods with the sun shining through. I think it gives me that, I think you get that real kind of sense of kind of peace. Um, and mm. I don't, it, it just feels, it just feels nice just to be out there. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, with, you know, Mental Health Awareness Week a couple of weeks ago and the, the theme was being surrounded by nature and I'm, such an advocate of spending time outdoors and I too I'm privileged you know I live in the countryside so for me to get to a trail within five minutes I can be you know in green space alone um and I do feel very fortunate because I use my trail running as a way to to manage my mental health, you know, to to clear my mind. Like I see my trail running as almost like a walking meditation when I'm in nature. And I don't get that from road running. Um, you know, I, I, I stay now away from roads as much as I possibly can because it just adds a sense of anxiety, a sense of... Um, yeah, just a sense of not getting from the run what I need to get from it. Um, when as soon as I hit a muddy trail, as soon as I hit a dirty trail, as soon as I hit a, a, the trees and the forests, I just this this sense of calm overtakes me, and it's unlike. Yeah, it's 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 a walking and running meditation. You know, it's it's beautiful, and I think that you know trail running can open our eyes to to some of the most beautiful spaces that are kind of you know either surrounding us or from an access point of view you know we can get to within half an hour an hour and you know having the confidence to know how to use a map whether it's a hard copy map or whether it's an os app and actually plan a route where you maybe haven't been before with a couple of friends or as a community meetup 
can be so powerful and transformational. And I think that's what we really saw at our Malvern's weekend for those people that hadn't been on those in that nature area before that hadn't been on those trails. They absolutely adored being out there and wanted so much of it. And that's what we want for the community. Yeah. When I was back home at Christmas 14, I was able to visit my, my father and I went out on a trail run and I came back head to toe in mud. And he said, I think he remarked that you haven't grown up at all, have you, son? Because <laughs> it allows was... that, doesn't it? Yeah, it allows that kind of fun kind of nature to come out. It allows you to be a kid, to, to, to run in puddles and, you know, not care about it, to, to get mud up to your shins or all over your body as you were on that run, you know, and it it allows us to do that because you know we're out there you know we're in nature and kind of that's that's what you do that's part of the fun of it so you know long live trail running and long live well nature will be a lot longer than we are so i don't know why i'm saying long live nature and and the views as well on our trail taste today we didn't get many views up on um the malvern beacon at all but Mm. i I think and also we went to penavan the other week as well it was um five five meter visibility but when we when we descended out of the clouds and we kind of finally sort of saw that kind of view, that's kind of it's, it's kind of it, it does it does something it does something to you, yeah. Uh, something something that you just that you, you I don't get that feeling from doing anything else. Yeah. Um, it's just that like you just kind of take a step back, take a breather, and just have a look at what's in front of you. Yeah, yeah. You know, always appreciate a view. And what I've started doing was when when I'm out trail running now is is you know less and less now when I'm out running I'm listening to stuff in my ears you know because I'm listening out and I've kind of set myself a bit of a challenge to kind of listen out for different bird noises and then get home and try and kind of listen to audio to find out like what the different bird sounds are I think there's I think there's an app I think there's is an app. there I'm sure I'm sure there's an app for bird for bird sounds I just want to I think it's just comes from a this 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 passion for the outdoors that I'm developing and just wanting to really really understand not just kind of the trail that I'm on but the the nature the wildlife the birds etc that inhabit that trail as well and and because there are certain noises that are quite repetitive of the morning I shall look at that app but that's you know that's the thing that it gives I would never thought I'd be interested in what different bird song there was and now as a trail runner that's out on the trails all the time I am and that's okay that's good (laughs) there are worse things to be interested in (laughs) but we hope that that those three sorry Sim I say next should be running along with a, a, a mushroom identification book and a mush and a magnifying glass. I will, and you know what? If you're out there and you do that, there's absolutely nothing wrong with identifying the fungi and flora while you're out there. Um, we hope we've given you food for thought. Please do. Uh, Hit us up with any questions you have about anything that we've discussed. Uh, drop us a message on uh, blacktrailrunners.run or via Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. Um, and, you know, why not go out? Why not go out and try and find a new trail, use a map or download the OS app? Why not go out and try a peanut M&M like Simba almost did last weekend and see how that affects you on a trail? Try the magic banana. Or try Simba's magic banana recipe, of which he will put the recipe somewhere online where it can be easily found because that stuff is transformational, I can tell you right now. 
<laughs> Simba, thank you so much for co-hosting with me this week. Happy running. Yeah, great to chat. Thank you for joining us at The Checkpoint. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe and share online. Also, please remember to leave your review on the podcast platform that you selected, as it really helps our podcast to grow. Your support helps make this podcast possible. Remember, if you have any questions, get in touch with us via our Instagram page at Black Trail Runners or... If you want to join our community, please search Facebook for Black Trail Runners and connect with us.